0: Welcome to Lean Back. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. And today's topic is work.
1: So we generally talk about Lean Back as a philosophy And this week we're wanting to talk about work. And so I think probably a good place to start is talking about how lean in relates to work because lean in is a philosophy about work. So maybe we should start out by talking about how lean in is problematic and how it relates to why work is
0: problematic. What do you think? I suppose that my primary objection to Lean In is that it really doesn't question the assumptions that govern the workplace at all, particularly those where race and gender and sexuality and class converge. So it's sort of like gendered integrationism. It doesn't question the norms that people are within. It just asks them to play the game you know, more completely, and I think that that's horrific, because it doesn't actually challenge any of the conventions that are undermining the participation of women and people of color and differently able people and neurodiverse people, you know, in the workplace, and it's certainly not empowering them, it's right. just making them assimilate into an already patriarchal, white supremacist, mm-hmm. heterosexist, you know, corporate culture. Right. I think Lenin is,
1: in some ways, just asking women to work harder. I know once I saw um, someone speak at the university about women in the workplace and how to succeed as a woman in the workplace, and she gave a quote by Will Smith about running on the treadmill. Will Smith says something along the lines of, I'm going to be on the treadmill the longest. And I presented this question like, you know... What about running on the treadmill on high heels and running on the treadmill when you've got a child care, you've got to pick up your kids and you've got to get off the treadmill to pick up your kids. It's different. So Will Smith, yeah, fine, stay on the treadmill, but Will Smith isn't running on the treadmill on high heels, which is an expectation the women have. He's not running on the treadmill and like having to maintain certain expectations about what it is to be female and what it is to, you know, have a particular physical qualities and uh, particular expectations of motherhood and things like that. So to me, it's like not just running on the treadmill for women. And it's like you have to do all of these other things. And that's why I lean in is hard for me because it's like, okay, it will work harder. But there are all these other expectations that women have.
0: And, and it's, I just, it's, it's not true. It's just, it's simply not true. <laughs> you can lean in all day long, as far as you can go, off the edge of the building, and you're never going to get compensated more. They're going to pick a token or two, and that's it because there's no systemic change. It's just so disingenuous to think that this is some sort of ideological intervention or practical intervention or that it's new advice. I mean, it's complete absurdity. I know I read a piece by Mindy Kaling a couple of days ago that she wrote about, you know, um, a young woman asked her, um, you know, how, how she got so successful as an Indian American woman. And her response was this giant tirade about how she's a workaholic. And it's like, you are not successful because you worked the hardest. <laughs> like, that's just like absurd. The culture does not reward the people who work the hardest. I I mean I just I'm watching Donald Trump on the TV, yeah, <laughs> you no know? running for president. I mean, be serious with me. The people who work the hardest get the most reward. I mean, it's just it's patently untrue. It's disingenuous. It's unethical mm-hmm. to to sell that idea and package it as a product, a self help product for women who are still making so much less than men with the wage gaps. So wage gaps plural. I mean, it's certainly much worse if you're a woman of color. So. I just I just can't. I can't get with it. I mean, I agree that hard work is a requirement, but it's not
1: a guarantee,
0: you know? It doesn't translate into <laughs> material reward. No.
1: And there are a lot of people who are working extremely hard, very hard, and getting effectively nowhere with it. And it's hard to say, yeah, you worked really hard as a writer on a successful comedy show – um, and I I can't say that that's not legitimate work, but there are also people working really hard and barely making ends meet, you know. And I I worked this I work a you know in a typically female job in the server. I worked you know, 45 hours in four days this week, and that's hard work. But and my social status didn't change in any way. My class didn't change in any way. I didn't succeed in any way. I just worked really hard. It was a financial transaction and that's it, you know, and that's what it is for a lot of people. It's like, okay, now I can pay for these vegetables and now I can pay for my heat to be turned on and now I can, you know.
0: But that's the thing about Lean In is that it's so corporate. I mean, it's entirely focused on the corporate atmosphere where people are already part of their upper upper echelon of management. It is completely useless as a roadmap for anybody else in mm-hmm. in wage work or under the table labor or I mean it's I mean it's not applicable to whole whole hosts of the entire economy.
1: Yeah, I think lean in I mean the book itself does mention a lot of the problems that
0: exist. It just doesn't for attempt women. to address them
1: it does but it's a, a very strange solution saying like placing the onus of responsibility on women themselves like okay so women are being held back so you've got to work harder as an individual for yourself
0: here here's what forbes ranks as the top five most important pieces of information from Lenin. one be more open to taking career risks most of the economy is made up of a people who don't have wiggle room to be adventurous in pursuing different career paths. I mean, that's super classist. Number two, skip the people-pleasing, which seems to be at odds with the entire message of Lean In. Three, visualize your career as a jungle gym and not a ladder. Because the problem is that people just aren't creative enough to see other paths for them and this is this is so top down four allow yourself to fantasize about your career this one's really white right because it's optimistic like i i can materialize my fantasies if i just do some dream work about it or write it in my journal or make a vision board it's very oprah five start a lean-in circle could that possibly be any more self-serving those are what forbes picked out as the five best lean-in tips for women (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's just, I can't, I just can't take this seriously. It's ridiculous. What it's was ridiculous. number two again? Number two was skip the people pleasing. Skip the people pleasing. Yeah.
1: Oh, man. You know, um, <laughs>
0: so that you can be the bitch. Lean in. Lean in was a big
1: uh, topic of conversation. I used to work at Walmart. Um, um, and a big of topic of conversation, I worked in HR as well, which is
0: super feminized (laughs) later.
1: Generally, um, but they were talking about, well, one of the objectives of the high end of human resources, the corporate end of human resources is filling in the corporate level, the executive level, like figuring out who's going to be in the, you know, VP plus positions. And there was this, a giant meeting about how Walmart was having trouble finding women who are qualified to be in upper level positions in the company, C-level, just below C-level positions. And this conversation was happening and they were like, you know, there have to be qualified women out there. They were like, there have to be, you know, we have to find some, we found this person, we hired this person, there have to be more. And around the whole table, there were, it was mostly women. And, like, very intelligent women, women who were in, like, higher, you know, higher level positions and, set, like, the middle management. And, basically, the head of human resources was just saying that none of the women around the table were qualified, you know, and they had just worked. It was a huge conference. They'd each been in the office, you know, 60 hours plus that week, and it was Thursday. So, they would already worked, like, 60 hours that week. It was a Thursday. They'd worked super hard. They were always working really hard and staying late. Um, and he was basically just saying <laughs> that Walmart was having trouble finding women who would be qualified. And I was like, oh, my God. I couldn't imagine what was going through. And, I, of course, I was, like, doing tech help and administrative stuff for this meeting. So it didn't apply to me, but I, was, I couldn't imagine being in the position of having worked so hard.
0: <laughs> like all, all those women. women were leaning in
1: yeah of all course of yeah and they had in. all read lean in and they are all like applying it to their lives and I could see that because I worked with them uh, and then they heard you know that Walmart had no qualified women that's,
0: to be that's the thing that's so insulting is that Sandberg in the book is like women hold themselves back mm-hmm. which is it's I <laughs> are, yeah. you, are you living in the world? Be serious. Like, that is the victim blaming that is so problematic. Women are not holding themselves back. Uh-huh. Women are not underpaying themselves. Yeah. I mean, women are not setting the expectation. It's not mm. like all of women's needs are met in the workplace, and then they're just, like, not doing the labor. <laughs> they're not just, like, yeah. cutting the mustard. It's just it's absurdity to me. The thing that is true is that women live in such a culture of deprivation for reward or positive encouragement or mentoring or even material rewards that, of course, they're going to buy this book and then try and apply it because it's a bestseller and somehow it's going to translate Mm -hmm. into those financial incentives for them. And it's, I, I just, I just think it's wrong.
1: Well, mentoring is like a huge thing now in companies, but now a lot of the mentoring for women centers around lean in. That's the mentorship, and it's, like, all
0: been distilled to this message that isn't exactly useful. Yeah, this is not a consciousness-raising situation. That's why I think I also totally object to the lean-in circle. It's like stealing consciousness-raising as a liberatory practice of second-wave feminism for a corporate framework. I mean, it's, it's the grossest example of appropriating liberation techniques for commodified capitalist gains I mean it's it's a poem
1: to me it's just like reflects how much work has become like the central force in a lot of people's lives you know whereas before like in second wave feminism women were thinking about their lives and their relationships and themselves as people um, that is separate from like a family or kids or motherhood um, and other like typically female things like that or typically, like, female roles. And now the conversation is about work, because work is now, like, how people define themselves. It's, like, the central focus of people's lives. Like, the question I get the most often as a young person who graduated recently is, what are my plans? What are my career plans? What am I doing? Where do I plan to be in five years,
0: career-wise? Yeah, that's because... The, that's because lean-in speaks to a goal-oriented way of understanding the world that is completely ideology-free. So there's no interrogation of the relationship between the worker and the work, or the worker and the working class, or the ruling class, or the worker and the politics of labor, or the worker and the role changing role of motherhood in a late capitalist society. There's no ideology right except that you have to work harder and work is the most important thing and it's no wonder that we have just incredible rates of depression and anxiety and suicide i mean all of those things i think are directly related to this overemphasis on goal-driven you know works lifestyles i mean it's causal It's not correlated, it's causal. People are literally working themselves to death. And the fact that she's shilling this to women who are doing not just the physical labor, but they're doing the emotional labor of the workplace. They're caring for their bosses as second wives. They're doing the ideological work to shift workplace culture to be more accommodating to families and children and, you know, the, the reality of a sluggish and contracting economy. They're doing massive amounts of uncompensated labor already. And then to tell them that they should just work even harder as they're working themselves to death is just... It's unconscionable.
1: But it's reinforced in so many ways. Like, that is that true. That type of work style is reinforced so hard. You know, there's kind of, like, a culture of um, first in, last out. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that can be rewarded a lot of times. Whether, like, you could produce, like, very little work over a longer period of time, but just, like, appear to be productive and that. It's fine. I mean, there's like something about seeming like you're working hard.
0: I mean it's sort of the irony I think of post capitalist culture, late capitalist culture, post capitalist culture is it's like ever in it's certainly in education right now, it's assessment, 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 which is just hilarious because in the marketplace there's no training and you know, the monkeys are running the circus and quality control is garbage. And they're going to pay – they're going to contract with the, you know, least expensive, you know, company to do the labor. They're going to outsource it to people who are not qualified to produce whatever it is that they're selling. I mean, in every part of corporate America, the, the relationship between the work and the quality of the product is just garbage. And so then, like, the entire conversation about assessment – is is ridiculous to me because it's like the emperor has no clothes. You know, the people who are who are driving so hard for assessment are also the ones who are completely undermining you know the quality of life, driving and down, down the price quality and... of work. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Sandberg, especially with her being in tech in the field of tech, there's a glaring silence about Mining silicon and about the production of computer technologies and about outsourcing, you know, the production of technology to places that have no, you know, strict labor laws or OSHA regulations or environmental regulation. Or, I mean, the only people that Lean In is concerned about with are, are upwardly mobile, upper management, whitish women who are heterosexual. That's it. You know, there is zero context for how this hyper-competition is destroying the lives of poor women of color in the U.S. and elsewhere. And there's no interrogation of the relationship between globalization and slavery. And I just, you know, it's very hard for me to, even though she calls herself a feminist, to even see this as remotely conversant in the concerns of feminism, even from the second wave on. It's so grossly ahistorical and, I don't know, it lacks any real context for the struggles of women who don't look and act like Sandberg. It reminds me
1: of, um, there was uh, an article by Lori Pinney in the New Statesman, and she talks about um, how the conversation's often about the glass ceiling. And she, There's this like nice quote by her that says, um, oh, while we're worrying about the glass ceiling, there are millions of women standing in the basement and the basement is flooding. And to me, that's like a really nice representation of how some women are just trying to like have a decent life, period. They're not even thinking about making it to the top. They're just like, they want to feed their families. They want to, you know, just get out of a difficult cycle. And that never enters in to larger conversations
0: that's because sandberg is selling the lie that class mobility is possible it's not all of the sociological data shows that there are very few people who actually transcend class especially as the rich poor gap has mm-hmm. grown you know in the years of the bush administration and particularly in the united states yes.
1: it's one of the lowest rates of social mobility of
0: developed nations but it's interesting because when Sandberg does talk about the relationship between the U.S. and other countries, this is the kind of stuff she says. She talks about gratitude in comparing the lives of American women to those of other women around the world and talks about how that, that gratitude in this life, sort of like we're not the worst, it's not the worst, way. Well, we should be grateful for what we have, which is a terrible perspective in terms of understanding feminism. I mean, how arrogant is that? You know, and then, and then to be like, we have it so much better, and the, oh, the treatment of women is so much worse in other places. It's like it's all linked together. It's such an unsophisticated assessment of where we are. We're worst in the world in maternity leave, we're almost at the top of, of mother mortality. I, I mean, it's, it's actually not even true that women are doing better per capita, their income's higher, but of course, that's the only rubric that matters. in lean-in, is how much per capita income that you have, or household income. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't matter if you're dying in the hospital because of a forced C-section. It doesn't matter that you don't have comprehensive health care or, you know, family medical leave or Mm -hmm. paid maternity or a thousand other rubrics that are standard in countries whose wealth does not surpass the U.S.
1: I mean... And even on measures of, like, leisure and happiness, it doesn't matter. Like, none of those things are
0: taken into account. and But then it's also, like, these internal things. Like, you know, she says, you know, yes, there's structural discrimination, but women are hindered by barriers that exist within ourselves. Our lack of self-confidence, not raising our hands, pulling back when we should be leaning in. I mean, <laughs> I just... We, and she says, we continue to do the housework and the childcare. It's like as though women are making individual choices to destroy their own careers. Again, with the blaming the victim and again with not putting the onus on structural barriers that could be overcome Mm. together with collective action in the workplace, probably because she's anti-union and anti-collective action. I mean, that's the thing is like stealing feminist language in the service of expanding the capitalist marketplace is not a win for women. It hasn't no. been historically,
1: it won't be in the future. But we should also talk about like the legitimacy of working in a household. I mean, it is difficult work to raise a child and it's it's <laughs> tremendous labor. <laughs> tremendous unpaid, unvalued social labor. And I think Lenin ignores the value of that work. Like that's an aside that's separate from your career, but it's completely valuable work that contributes enormously the economy and it's super successful if you're like a, a mother you're successful raising a child and that kind of work is sort of under the table it's complete it's like a black market
0: no that's <laughs> great no that's actually super interesting right because if we take lean in and put it in a different economy of scale if we take it out of the workplace and put it into the home, what does it mean to lean in to housework? What does it mean to lean into cleaning the toilet? What does it mean to lean in to take the kids to soccer practice? Which is what women have been doing
1: for years, uncompensated. And how's that working out? <laughs> well, <laughs> still <laughs> I mean, uncompensated.
0: Yes, still undervalued. What? I mean, in the 70s, women like Judy Cyphers and Pat Maynardy wrote huge treatises about the relationship between, you know, the segregated sex economy outside of the house and the economy within the house. They wrote huge screeds about housework and the division of labor in the, in the home sphere and how sexist it was. That's the other thing that is upsetting about this. It's like, yeah, there's been 50 years of conversation about labor and the relationship between labor and Gender and sexuality She doesn't reference any of it As though like these are her ideas Or something or like like There hasn't been tremendous amount Of productivity among feminists About these ideas Which is disingenuous And lazy But it's definitely an indication that it's not transformative mm-hmm. But I mean the kinds of people who are
1: Paying Money For you know books and programs and the kinds of people who have disposable income to spend money on books like lean in are the kinds of women who want i mean if self-help in a lot
0: of ways is structured around work now absolutely but the thing that's missing here for me is a conversation about ethics and justice and if it were a feminist manifesto, as she claims it to be in the opening pages of the book, then those would be the frames through which she would analyze her own experiences and, you know, the cherry-picked data that she presents here that is entirely self-serving. But those are not part of the narrative. There's no question about the ethics of leaning in. Right. There's no, there's no actual assessment about what might be the drawbacks or massive costs of leaning in further.
1: Yeah, like I, I always talk about how when you lean into a company that doesn't like try, and, you? Catch you, try and catch you ah. that you fall on your face but I don't often talk about what happens to that person who doesn't catch you you know, like they're at fault in some ways because they exploited the amount of work that you put in without compensating you for it, rewarding you in any way Lean in in a lot of ways, and it's very useful for companies to talk about leaning in because it's like, Yeah, I mean, you guys should work harder, you for guys us. Should, should, yeah. And they have no incentive, you know, to actually they have every incentive to promote lean in and no incentive to actually change any structures to their company. And I mean, there's things like lean in happening, and then people still like talk about how women being the head of household is destroying families and bad for families. Those two things are like still brought up.
0: Yeah, when, when corporate managers are enthusiastic about an idea, it's a red flag for me, especially when the product is touting itself as anti-corporate you know, corporate or transformative to the corporate atmosphere for sure. But but yeah, there's no there's no ethical assessment whatsoever about what the relationship is between the women in the workplace and the men that they're leaning into or what those compromises might do to their character or their, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> endurance or their long-term career strategy or their relationships in the workplace, or their relational power, or, I mean, just all of these other variables that are incredibly important for women assessing their own sense of satisfaction about their life and the quality of their life are just not even broached. It's just, it's hard for me to see how lean in is a strategy that would ever promote social, emotional, or material success for anybody. Except for sycophants who are going to get rewarded for sucking up to power. Mm-hmm. And if that's that's the best strategy that you have for getting ahead that's not really how it works for women and folks of color and differently abled people and I mean
1: um, I, I guess you could argue that you can work really hard to achieve a certain kind of power that allows you to change the system from within but I think once you spend so long, you know, leaning in and thinking about getting ahead. It changes, you know? I know working for companies, it's hard not to get out of that, like, drive for advancement. And it's hard to, like, make a decision that would be politically unpopular in a workplace that could, you know, jeopardize all of the work you did. Like, once you've leaned in for long enough to get ahead, becomes, like, counterintuitive. Charles Sandberg talks about, like, at Google, asking for parking for pregnant women. <laughs> Close parking. But it was nothing, something she never considered, you know, or that the company ever considered for women who were in smaller positions. She had to get ahead, and, like, near the top of the company to bring it up. And that's, I mean, of course, like, a really small... <laughs>
0: It's really small, but that's the thing. It's small, and and it may help some people, but the thing that I find so offensive is that she'll take those examples from Google or Facebook or whatever, and then say things like, we can reignite the revolution by internalizing the revolution. Is this Ronald Reagan? Because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like, you know, hyper-individualism is like Ayn rand on steroids. Mm. It's like if women just internalize the hyper individualism yeah. of late capitalism, then magically they will get ahead in the workplace and be in the decision in the decision maker's spot and they'll be driving the boat and they'll be able to have, you know, some sort of systematic change. But it's like <laughs> that's not a systematic change. No.
1: And also it's like maybe even counterproductive because it's like Oh, now you can work longer while you're pregnant since you don't have to walk all the way across the parking lot. It's like, oh, yeah, you can stay an extra couple weeks since, you know, you've basically got the red carpet in the door. You know, so to me, it's just like justifying
0: even harder work for women in a lot of ways. But then she's also like, you know, the thing that's going to really help you is to have a supportive spouse. Right, also, so, which so which is like this sort of h- heterosexist theme that runs through, and certainly pro monogamy sort of theme that runs through the book, you know, and and that person is in the book is always male, so it's not like it's not like Sandberg got ahead on her own with her own, you know, chutzpah. In the book, overwhelmingly, she credits her success to her male spouse. And this is of course the problem that happened at the end of Second wave Feminism, as lesbians were like, yo, <laughs> all of you white feminists won't leave your husbands, and so your ability to transform the culture is indicted by the fact that you are benefiting from the very culture that you profess to want to change. And Sandberg's no different. She, she married well, you know, into a household that, also, that had two incomes that were in the top point, you know, oh, 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 one percent of the one percent. I mean, her financial, you know, wealth propelled her success. It's not like people go from the poorest class in the culture to the upper caste, you know, by marrying well and having supportive spouses, I mean, that that's just absurd.
1: Um, But, I mean, that was something that women have done for a long time, is provide, like, the support for men to, like, work long hours and lean in at their jobs. But that's, like, nothing that people get credited for. I mean, feminists talk about it all the time because... Who else is doing it? No one. But, you know, Cheryl Sandberg's like, you need a good partner and you need to credit them for your success. And they have to be a
0: dude. (laughs) And ideally one who's like super, super wealthy and extremely well known in your
1: career path. I mean, it's so problematic how hard people work for such little money and how much, how much you work doesn't relate to your success
0: or your class. I mean, but people need to, I mean, the, the one part is that we need to have a larger cultural conversation about how to reframe happiness and how we need to reframe our relationship to labor and leisure. I mean, as an academic, the thing that I, I, I care most about uh, in terms of my life happiness is having flexible time. I don't mind working hard as long as I can decide, you know, yeah. when to show up and when not to show up. So for me, you know, as a first generation college student and as you know, as as you know sort of first generation out of poverty, um, but also massively in debt. I think frequently about my quality of life and the thing that I prioritize is flexibility. And that is not there's no nowhere that Cheryl Sandberg mm-hmm. talks about that with any eloquence or depth about how in this culture with no child care subsidization and, you know, with the over-reliance on the two-parent model and despite, you know, the failures of the two-parent model about how flexibility would be a different value that we might want to privilege or justice or ethics or, you know, or anything, and I think about this especially when, when since we're in a presidential cycle, about you know when I hear people talking about Social Security and raising the retirement age, and people are living so much longer. I mean, there's no chance in hell I want to be working 80 hours a week when I'm 70 under any circumstances. In, under any circumstances.
1: I know, like people talk about millennials in the workplace having different values, like that they care less about how much they make and more about like what the hours are like and what the culture is like and flexibility in particular like the priorities have kind of shifted for millennials in the workplace and um, how like people who have been in the workplace for a long time discuss that mindset where like millennials are prioritizing flexibility and like Uh basically just and they want like a lot of responsibility very quickly and people who've been in the workplace for a long time are basically like that's such an entitled point of view if you want flexibility and that's something you prioritize that's considered to be like a lie. sign of it a- <laughs> yeah like you're entitled you want a lot of responsibility at work really quickly that's that's ridiculous because because everything has been structured in this way for so long
0: In that way, being Mm hyper-hierarchical and super-patriarchal and top-down management styles. And everybody's tired of it. I mean, I just feel like everybody that I talk to that talks about their job, regardless of what kind of work they're doing, and I feel like I socialize broadly in the culture, is just fatigued with the minutiae and the bureaucracy and the lack of training and the lack of um, authority to make decisions and... Poor leadership and uh, nepotism, you know, and also uh, certainly in the South, this sort of like, it's not your turn yet, wait, your turn culture. Mm -hmm. And the turn never comes for women or people of color. It never comes unless they're being tokenized.
1: I know, uh, actually, when I was at Walmart, I found my general responsibilities very easy. and I would finish them, you know, with relative ease. And I asked for more responsibilities. Like, I would ask to do, like, I knew projects that needed to be done. I was aware of them. And I would say, you know, I you know, I can take that on. And my bosses would respond by giving me busy work. Like, notes that they had taken, they wanted me to type it up. Just <laughs> because they wanted to hoard power. <laughs> but that to me, because they're like, there are certain levels, you know? And they're like, well, okay, that particular thing that you want to do is Classify. Even though I have the free time, the mental ability, and the... Desire. Yeah. Interest in doing it. Even though all of those things are true, it's like, oh, no. no. There are certain structures to things, and you can't do that because this requires you to be at a Q2 L4 position (laughs) and you're at a Q1 L2 you know whatever all these like classifications of positions even though it's nonsensical really because it has no relation to someone's abilities and I know like for higher level people there's like uh, some kind of thing that's been invented by consultancies or whatever called hay points I don't know if you're aware of this But if you've been in a position, upper management, you receive a certain number of points that like indicate your competency as a leader and a manager and the things you've accomplished and the fact that you've held a particular position. And there are some positions at high companies that you can't get unless you have a certain number of points that are like arbitrarily designated because you've held this position before or whatever. And to me, it seems crazy because I don't, know how many examples there are of startups you know where someone who has almost no experience creates a product that people want
0: and then they prove themselves to be effective
1: leaders and
0: if i can play devil's advocate though yeah of course you know so we so we just watched the black lives matter folks uh get a private meeting with hillary clinton And they wanted access to the power, so they got it. They got a private meeting with her. And then they had no demands. They had no organizational demands. They wanted to talk to her like she was just like a woman with the sads about racism instead of a presidential candidate with the capacity to understand how structural change has to be institutionalized. And so I think there are legitimate critiques that are about millennials not having a sense about what kind of maturity has to go into building organizational power and that there are reasons why you might want to be, you know, um, critical of that drive. I mean, especially somebody who works with millennials all the time. They're, I mean, they just fail a lot. <laughs> right. And so there are some places that can withstand High amounts of failure there's some workplaces where it's not terrible if they fail you know a given a higher level of responsibility and some somewhere they will but i but in at the end of the day that's about assessing maturity you know and mm-hmm. also about training people you know but the, I think that there are there are legitimate critiques about the skill sets that millennials may or may not have that influence the way that they're perceived in the workplace. I think there are opportunities certainly for millennials to challenge workplace norms. Don't get me wrong. You know, I don't know, working with them a lot, my millennial students are just... Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of insecurity and, and
1: that certainly drives I guess, some kind of like ineffectual behavior like procrastination and excuse making and things like that just like a general insecurity and instability but i also think the expectation of wanting to do what you like which is a relatively new yes possibility Mm yeah um and one that most Millennials have grown up. Like, even in bad conditions, it's like, if you... Seriously, there are so many opportunities you can do... Whether that's true or not. Do what you but love! The, the money the, will come! But I feel like the demand for that is high. And yeah. it's hard to see, like, is are, will anything be done about it? Because, you know... I don't know if I could have demanded to actually have more flexibility or more... Like, actually... When I asked for it and I, it didn't, I asked for more training. It didn't happen. I asked for more flexibility. It didn't happen. I asked for more responsibility. It didn't happen. And so I quit. Yeah. <laughs> and that among other reasons. But I don't know if I could have pushed harder or made more demands. You know, so. You, what
0: position were you different- in to make demands? You were a 2 l 2 or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that wasn't part of your job description. Exactly. Just being able to yeah. access the And it's presumptuous. Right but that's the thing.
1: It's like, there are, um, there's an expectation and, and millennials have this like philosophy that I think is better and progressive and useful. um, But the, you know, structure of work now doesn't permit that to be enacted. Although now companies are trying, you know, to accommodate millennials because they need them to fill positions. So now there are like accommodations being made just for like workforce related reasons only
0: because there's no other choice. Butts need to be in seats. But I just don't believe that. I think that that is, I think that's not true. I actually don't buy that narrative. I think that they, they need to have butts in the seats and so they... Play at accommodating, but it's not like millennials are making demands as a class of humans where they're actually challenging workplace norms. The problem is, is that scarcity is overwhelmingly driving people's people's choices about where they work, and that's it that's the thing about this liberal, you know, lean in kind of stuff is that it emphasizes choice. Like we all have the same amounts of choice, and we can all exercise choice the same way. And it certainly doesn't take into account the fact that choice is is, is predicated upon a bunch of different variables, including social location, geography, class, race, gender, sexual preference, um, you know, married or unmarried, Mm -hmm. et cetera, number of kids. You know, choice is not something that people are actually exercising. It's not like everybody's got the whole world as your oyster and you can choose among all of the pearls. That's just simply not happening. Millennials are not driving the conversation. I think that they're being catered to like there's this paternalistic you know tone about news coverage about millennials in the workplace that is not actually bearing itself in real life. Now, I don't have any sociological data to that fact. This is this is totally <laughs> me theorizing on the fly here, but I do not see millennials as a driving force in changing workplace norms whatsoever. But then, then they're also not voting and they're disenfranchised from politics, so they're not really seen as a political cohort. With any sort of political power So it's hard for me to see how that would translate into any sort of Power in the workplace It's not like millennials can opt out of work That they think is shitty Yeah, that's true
1: And, you know, I quit my job and now I'm working You know, service jobs to make money So it's like, yeah, you can opt out But your other options aren't, like, exactly It's not like I had Yellow brick road That I could, like, then take To figure out like the answers to my
0: problems you know but the thing is is that your problems aren't your problems they're america's problems it's not like you know if only laura would stop (laughs) sabotaging herself with the wand that's the thing it's like leaning encourages you to think differently about your desires in a culture where achieving those desires is totally unmeetable you're not going to get there so then you have all these, no wonder then everybody's so depressed. Like even when they do, you know, start exercising, you know, any kind of liberation fantasy, then they're completely, pro, you know, prohibited or shut down mm-hmm. from actually achieving any kind of social change that way. That's why it's hard to hear all of this advice from people who are yes. really
1: successful that are like, just make the leap, just take a risk. Like, I know Richard Branson does stuff like that. He was like, oh, yeah, I just, like, pushed myself into doing this. And I was like, okay, well,
0: <laughs> yeah, but all good the, for you. But <laughs> all the no- newest studies that have it's come not. out in the last year show that the thing that, that makes the biggest difference in these ultra-successful people's lives is the fact that their parents bankrolled them. That was the variable. It wasn't hard work or chutzpah or grit or charm or talent. It was none of those things. It was only the fact that their parents were willing to bankroll their startups Mm. or float them for decades while they built a career. That's it. So, I'm sorry but when 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 the sociological data is very clearly showing that people who make money are the people who already have money, then this sort of advice falls on deaf ears. And that's what makes it so classist and so racist and so problematic. Thanks for listening. These materials are not endorsed, approved, sponsored, or provided by or on behalf of the University of Arkansas, Fayetteville.